turn to Proverbs 6. We're going to start there. We're going to be looking at various passages today, many passages. We're going to be flipping, flipping around. And, uh, we, we are in a series where we are looking at uh, issues where culture and Christianity collide. Issues that it will not make you the most popular person at your workplace. It will not make you the most popular person at your school to stand on the Word of God, to stand up for the Word of God. And we started out by looking at uh, 1 Peter 3.15 and that set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. But do that with gentleness and respect. And we said that, first of all, before we're, before we're going to take a stand on these issues, we have to set Christ apart. We have to fear God more than we fear man. We have to fear letting God down more than letting man down. We have to fear God being disappointed. God being, fear more of God being ashamed to be called our God than our friends being ashamed to be our friend. And we, we looked at the gospel we said that the most offensive thing about Christianity is not our views on these issues, but it, it's, our, it's our views on the gospel, that we would be so arrogant to say that the only way that you get to heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That that is the most offensive thing about Christianity. That, that we would rule out every single other God, every single other God, false. Every other way that you could think or dream of getting to heaven, false. Jesus alone. Then we, we looked at our attitude towards uh, the orphan. Last week we talked about the, just the, 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 the idea of thankfulness, that the Bible says in Ephesians 5 and 1 Thessalonians 5 that we should be thankful not only in all things, but for all things. And last week we looked at at why that can be so and how that can be so. And hopefully that Thanksgiving is more than a seasonal thing for Christians. And today, uh, we are going to look at the, the issue of abortion. We're going to take a, a month off, December, and we're going to look at lessons we can learn from some, the Christmas story, but we'll continue this in January. But today, we're going to look at our attitude uh, about abortion. And I want to answer some basic questions. I, I want to I answer, you know, what are, what are we standing upon? Why, are, why do we hold the position we hold? I, I want to look at the, the fact that God has revealed Himself. I, I want to address the issue of why are, are we just a bunch of just mean people that are opposed to a woman's right to choose? I mean, are Christians against choice? Are we ancient? Are we behind the times? Are we believing something that science has totally disproven? Why, do, why, why, why are we holding? Are, are, we, are we lacking wisdom? Are we archaic? Or are we holding fast to truths because Jesus has revealed this to be true? I, I hope that. In the, in the way that we approach these texts and in the way we approach the Word of God and my attitude towards the, God, towards the Word of God, I hope that you see the importance of, of what we're doing, not only today, but every day. God, this, this is the thought that hit me this week as I, I, I preparing for Thanksgiving and all the gluttony that's going to go on Thanksgiving Day, I decided I'd be spiritual and go for a jog. I hate running. They make engines. I find running totally unnecessary. 
I, I, it's ridiculous. Why run when I can ride? But I thought, you know what, I'm going to be spiritual and some gluttony is about to take place. Let me make some room. Let me burn some calories. And the thought hit me that the, this very fact that I think sometimes misses us and that we miss is this, that God has revealed himself. Think about that. God has revealed himself. God took the time to reveal himself to fallen humanity. That, that revelation came through words. And then that revelation climaxed in the word, John 1, Jesus Christ. Who spoke many words. Those words were collected. You see that in the high priestly prayer in John 17. You see that in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God breathed. Is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped. Lacking nothing. This is the, this is a rev, these are not just words. These are not just man's ideas. These are not just good things. This is not a bunch of people that got together and thought, you know what, let's pool our wisdom, let's write it down and see how it goes. This is literally God revealing Himself. Revealed Himself. This isn't just man's ideas of... The beauty of that is this isn't a collection of what man thinks God is to be like. This isn't where men said, you know what, I think God's like this. Or, you know what, if I was to design a God, this is how i design him. No, no, God said, you know what, I'm going to show you what I'm like. I'm going to teach you what I'm like. I'm going to make sure you know exactly why my stance on these issues. I'm going to make sure you know exactly where I stand on these things. No need to wonder. No need to call them gray. I'm going to reveal myself. And our job as believers is to communicate that revealed message to the world. Not, not these, again, not our ideas, truths. Truths. We're, we're dealing with truth. That, 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 there's, there's no gray area, truth. Even when the world doesn't seemingly want to hear it, the word is truth and we cannot shy away we can't back down from that. It, 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 is, it is a truth. And, and our job as believers is to communicate God's truth to the world around us through our lives, through our words, through our actions. And, and listen, the, the measuring rod is not how, how we're accepted. Our, our success is not, oh, well, did the world receive that well or not? That, that's not our measuring rod. It's truth. God's word is truth no matter if they receive it or not. And when I share the gospel with people, look, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting truth. They're rejecting God himself. And I hope we'll see today to not, to not hold God's convictions on these issues is indeed to reject God himself because he himself revealed himself. It's not Chris's ideas. This is about truth. There's nothing gray about it. It's black or white. It's truth. And our job as believers is to stand firm on the fact that God has revealed himself. You know, if these were my ideas, take it or leave it. You don't want to hear my ideas. 
I mean, we're not arguing here. I love college football. I love all sports. And, and the argument right now is who's the best? Who's the best? You know, is this, is that? You know, there's no truth to that. On any given Saturday, somebody could be the best. That's opinions. You know, you have your opinion. I have my opinion. But we're, but we're dealing with truth here. God has spoken. He's revealed himself. And, and truth, here's the beauty. Truth stands for all times. Truth doesn't need to be edited. Truth doesn't need to be updated. Truth doesn't need to be made more relevant. Truth doesn't need your help. It doesn't need my help. Truth doesn't need to be made cool. Truth is truth. It remains at all times. And listen, even that our culture hates. Our, our culture We've moved from modernism to postmodernism, and, and now it's, truth is relative. What's true for you is not true for me. What's good for you may or may not be good for me, but I get to determine that. That's not true. You can't even carry that logic out very far before you realize we need absolute truths. Truth can't be relative. I mean, if I made up a lie about you and the person said, well, it's relatively true. No, no, hey, is it true or not? Did, did you do that or did you not? It's not relative. It's true. And, and when, approaching, when approaching topics like today, we have to be very careful to navigate carefully, to balance the tension. There is a tension that exists. And I've tried very carefully... In, in how I've worded this sermon to, to, to navigate these waters carefully. Because on one hand, we must be firm and declare the outrage towards abortion. Because it stands in opposition to God's character. It stands in opposition to the Word of God. We, we cannot, we, we must oppose that with strength and with firmness. But also with gentleness and respect. Because not only, do, not only is there grace ex enough exists for sin in my life, it exists for sin in other people's lives. And we've got to balance that. We, we must deal with our own sin at the same fervor and at the same time we deal with others' sin. So on, and on the other hand, so on the one hand, we've got to deal firmly. On the other hand, we must make known the fact that there is forgiveness and hope offered to all sinners including somebody who's had an abortion, someone who's encouraged someone to have an abortion, someone who didn't stand up and, and tell someone not to have one. For, for us to water down sin and its effects is, is not good, is not helpful. And, and we must preach firmness, but also forgiveness. It doesn't mean that we don't care. It simply means that there is grace. And, and I realize in a crowd like this that there is there's probably, there's very possible people who have had abortions. There's possible your family members have had one. You're, you're, you're listening to a guy who, when I was in high school, two of my best friends that I grew up with from kindergarten to the 12th grade, they both had abortions in high school. And, and we were very, very good. I mean, we did everything together. I, I, I still remember sitting on the dirt road leading to one of the girls' house when she called me and said, Chris, you need to come over here. I, I, I got to tell you something. And she told me what she had done. 
I, I, I know it's real. All I'm saying is I know it's real. I'm not preaching from some, some room that's excluded from everybody who doesn't, like this is something out there and I don't have any, I, I know. I don't know as well as some as you know, but I know, I saw it. I walked two girls through it for a long time to battle with all the lies that Satan and the culture told them about how easy it would be and how simple it would be. You've walked those roads too. This issue hits close to home for me, is what I'm trying to say. And the challenge we must deal with as believers is, is to deal strongly with the sin, but love the individual. Love the individual. And that's what I want us to do today. First, I, I, want, to I want to declare the, the hate, the opposition regarding the act of abortion. What, sh get, give a biblical defense to why we must be opposed to, to, uh, to abortion because of the revealed truth of the Word of God. But, but secondly, I want to proclaim the forgiveness that is available through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there is absolutely forgiveness. This is not the unpardonable sin. It's, not, it's, not, it's, it's certainly a heinous sin, but it doesn't, it doesn't in, in some sense, the effects may be different, but it separates, it separates an individual from God just like lying or stealing or murdering or coveting or any other sin. So we, I want us to be able to walk out of here and, and, and when, when these conversations come up in, at, the, at the water cooler in our neighborhoods or whatever, we as believers will be able to defend from the Bible. Not I think, but this is what I know. I, I want us to be able to give a de biblical defense for these things. And, and when we walk out of here, be equipped to give a, a balanced biblical defense. So, so with that... You'll see on your, your handout, our response to abortion must include hate for the act. Hate for the act. And, and I realize as soon as you write that word hate, e even as I wrote that, I struggled with, with just the boldness of putting that word down there. That's a strong word. But, but listen, listen. I, I use that word because listen to what the Bible says in, in, in Proverbs six sixteen. There are six things which the Lord hates yes seven which are an abomination to him so if you if you don't like the word hate put abomination listen to what he writes haughty eyes a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans feet that run rapidly to evil a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers the Lord hates the shedding of innocent blood. And if God hates it, as His representatives, guess what our attitude must be about it? We must hate it. We're His representatives. And here's why. I want to give us the reasons, some biblical reasons, why God hates it. And you see on your handout, first of all is this, and as I thought about this, I should have put B as A and A as B. I don't know what I was thinking too much tryptophan maybe or something like that but a every person is made in the image of god two reasons why just two basic reasons every person is made in the image of god you, you see very early on in genesis 127 so god created man in his own image in the image of god he made them male and female male and female he created them image of god you look, look with me at james 3 
uh, verse 9. We just studied the, the book of James. In James 3, verse 9, With it we bless our Lord and Father, talking about the tongue, and with it we curse men, listen, who have been made in the likeness of God. We, we have been made in the image of God. And, and you say, why does this matter? Why, why does it matter? The, the point of an image is to reflect the original image. We are to reflect the original image. The whole reason for our existence is to point to God, to glorify the original. God, God made in, humans in His image so that the whole world will be filled with little images of God. Everywhere you turn, when I look at Matt, and I look at Akeen, and I look at Emmanuel, you know what, I see images of God. Not, not in the physical, not that God has a physical, but with the traits, the characteristics. There's images. When, when we see another person, we, we must see the fact that God is reflected in them, that, that, that as their creator, he, they bear His image. Seven billion, this world is filled with seven billion statutes of God, in a sense, all over the world. Seven billion. When we see other people, they're, they're, they bear the mark. They bear the image of God. And, and immediately we see the ramifications of this. In Genesis 9, verse 6, listen to this. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. You, you see what he's saying there? Because life is sacred, because it reflects God Himself, He says no price is high enough or too high to compensate for its loss. You shed blood, your blood ought to be shed. You look at Deuteronomy 19.20, same thing. Why so high? Because men and women are image bearers of God. When we destroy life, guess who we're destroying? We're destroying God's, we're destroying God's workmanship, but His image. We're ridding the world of God's image. And, and as God, as God's image bearers, we're to pursue righteousness. And, and our righteousness throughout the Bible, you see twofold. Love God, love others. You can boil the whole thing, this whole thing, down to two basic commands. Love God, love others. Go to Matthew 20, 36 and following, you see that. And, and at the core, abortion violates both of those. Violates a love of God, and it violates a love for others. Again, that's why we see clear commands throughout the Scriptures about murder and about shedding innocent blood. But, but not only every person made in the image of God, every person is created by God. Created by God. We're not accidents. All throughout the Scriptures, you see the, the specificity in which we were created by God. Look, listen to Psalm 139, verses 14 through 16. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Listen, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days which ordained for me, when as yet there were not one of them. Psalm 127.3 teaches the same thing. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the room is a reward. We're, we're created by God. 
not only do we bear His image, but we, we, we bear Him as our Creator. Literally, if we were a canvas, down in the corner of the canvas, you know whose signature is on that canvas? God. God. He created us. J just like if, if you put a picture up here and Chris Basham signs it, it's worth nothing. You put the same picture up here and Vincent Van Gogh signed it, all of a sudden people just want millions for it. It all boils down. Why? The only difference is the Creator. The Creator. And, and listen, people have value because God is their creator. You may not like them, but guess what? They have value because God is their creator. Everything, has been, everything about people has been designed by God from conception on. And listen, listen, I said are we, we're not just sticking our heads in the sand here. We're, we're, we're not defying science with our, with our faith. Listen to what science says. Dr. Jerome Lejeune, he's the professor of fundamental genetics in Paris. This what, that's what that means. He's smarter than you and me. Fundamental genetics. I, I think all genetics are fundamental. Seriously. Listen to what he says. This, he's not a believer. He's not a Christian. This isn't, this isn't some Christian guy trying to make up facts to support his case. This, he is a scientist in the area of genetics. He says this. Life has a very long history, but each individual has a very neat beginning, the moment of its conception. The material link is the molecular thread of DNA. In each reproductive cell, this ribbon, roughly one meter long, is cut into pieces 23 or chromosomes. As soon as 23 paternally derived chromosomes are united through fertilization to the 23 maternal ones, the full genetic meaning necessary to express all the inborn qualities of the new individual is gathered, and personal constitution takes place. I don't know what that says. I'm just telling you on the front end. I know it points to creation, so I put it in here. Listen, at two months of age, listen, at two months of age, this is what it means. I'm kidding you. I'm trying to add a little levity to this. At two months of age, the human being is less than one sub-thumb length from head to the rear. He would fit at ease in a nutshell. But listen, but everything is there. Hands, feet, head, organs, brain. In the fourth week, there is consciousness. His heart has been beating for a month by the second month. Fingerprints can be detected. The heart is beating 150 to 170 beats a minute. And after that, fertilization has taken place. A new human being has come into being. It is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. That's the point. It's, this, is not about, this is not about opinion. This is not about taste. This is not about Christians defying science and in spite of what science says. No, no. Science is simply recognizing what God said long ago, that I've created you in the womb. Listen to this. Studies show that one-third of all abortions occur between the seventh and the tenth week of pregnancy. Why is this significant? Listen to this. Science will tell you by this time, without dispute, that the baby is already sucking his thumb. That the baby is able to recoil when pricked. That the baby responds to sound. That all organs are present. The brain is functioning. The heart is pumping. The liver is making blood cells. Kidneys are cleaning fluids. Listen, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like life. 
That sounds a lot like the basic fundamental precepts of life. I mean, I don't, I don't, you don't have to be a professor of fundamental genetics to understand. That sounds a lot like life. And it's here, right there, one-third of all abortions occur. Here's why I say that, not to make it emotional. If I wanted to make it emotional, I could have showed video after video to support this fact. As believers, what I'm trying to get us to realize is this. We don't hold our convictions about abortions without facts. Science is simply recognizing what the Bible has been saying for a long time. We're not just sticking our heads in the sand and saying, I know what science says, but... I mean, we don't, if, if all we ever knew was Psalm 139, listen to me, that would be more than sufficient because God said it. But science backs it up. Look, look at me at Exodus 21 for a moment. Look, listen to Exodus 21. Verse... Uh, 22. Listen, listen, listen to what's written here. Exodus 21, verse 22. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury. That word there points to literally catastrophe. He shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay the ju- as the judge decides. Listen. But if there is any further injury then you shall appoint as a penalty, listen to what he says, life for life. Listen, even without, he goes on to say eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Listen, even without all of our technology, you know what they gave to that baby inside the mommy? Full rights of life. Full rights of life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. They, they didn't need 4D sonograms. They didn't eat all this stuff to realize the truth. You look at Luke 141, what did the baby in Elizabeth's womb do at the sound of Mary's voice? It leaped. Listen to me, life leaps. Fetuses don't leap. Life leaps. Satan is, Satan is trying to deceive, and we are buying his lies. We, Christians get accused of being archaic and behind the times, and, and we need to catch up, and we need to get with the times. But the reality is this. Pro-abortionists are arguing in spite of the clear facts. They're the ones arguing in spite of what science and truth backs up. And they're doing it in order to justify sinful desires and actions. Uh, The baby in the womb is alive. It's not a fetus with no awareness of its surroundings. It's alive. It's interesting to me that the same people who deny the fact that this baby is alive have no problem selling its parts for gain. That's a little ironic. Wouldn't it need to be alive for you to sell its tissue to help life? Otherwise, go dig up the cemeteries. It's funny how you change your tune real quick when you can make a buck. I mean, they're selling the babies to support life. Why? Because the baby's alive. Listen, in 2013, 1.2 million babies were reported to be aborted. That's documented abortions. Here's what the world would tell us. 
It was for health reasons. It was to protect a mom's life. It was because of rape. Listen to me. The media has an agenda. The world has an agenda and they want us to believe certain things. Those are not true. Statistics say this. Here here are the top reasons why women are getting abortions. 21% inadequate finances to provide for the child. 21% say I'm not ready for the responsibility. 16% Say the woman, they say it would change my life too much. This just in, a baby changes everything. 12% problems with relationships. 11% say I'm too young or immature. 8% say, oh, my other children are grown, I don't want any more. 3% were because the baby had possible health problems. Statistics say that, again, less than 1% are, are due to a pregnancy caused by rape or incest. Less than 1% of all abortions. Statistics say that it's gotten to the point where 40% of all pregnancies in the United States will be aborted. 40%. Statistics say 43% of all American women will have an abortion before the age of 45. of those will be by teenagers. 50% of those will be by people who already had one abortion. Here's the reason. It's selfishness. It's a devaluing of human life. It's saying my life is more important than this other life. We're selfish. We've, We've abandoned God's word and His value for life. We value self over God. Just like we've seen time and time again, you take it all the way back to the garden. We want to determine for ourselves what is right and wrong, what is good is evil, regardless of what what God says. We want to determine for ourselves. We want to be the master of our own ship. We we want to be God, just like Satan. We, We want to be little gods. We want to be able to determine for ourselves. And yet, you can go on and on in the passages that, that, that tell and describe of God being the giver. L- listen, listen to Proverbs 22. Um, oh, Psalm 22. I looked at Proverbs. Psalm 22. I started reading it. I thought that ain't where I wanted to go. Psalm 22. Yet you are he who brought me, verse 9, forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. Listen to this. This is what was convicting to me. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Interesting. Who does that tell me we're going against when, we, when we're for abortion? You know who we're going against? We're going against God. This is not about choice. This is not about rights. This is a spiritual battle. This is man against God. This is the created fighting against the creator. We're trying to declare through abortion and all other things that we are sovereign, that that we get to call the shots, and it is a spiritual battle between will we be the determiners of right and wrong, or will we submit ourselves to what God has revealed to be perfectly right and perfectly wrong, unchanging. And it boils down to this. Do we believe what God says? 
Do we believe that what God has revealed? Because you'll see it on your hand. Now, this is not about choice. Ultimately, it's not about a woman's body. It's not about babies that are defective or rape or anything else. This is about defiance against God. This is a spiritual battle. And Christians are falling prey to the ways of the world and worldly thinking rather than having their minds transformed by the Word. We want to choose. We want to, just like in Judges, we want to do, everyone wants to do right in their own eyes. And I, and I hear the argument with what about defects? People say, what about defects? You know, we're actually being good to, to stop these babies from growing up with defects. L- let, me, let me give you some very convicting passages again. They're going to challenge, they're going to challenge your thoughts, they're going to challenge you. But listen, listen to this. Let, let's talk about defects for a moment. Again, we're trying to play God. Listen to what God says. The Lord said to him, talking to Moses, Moses saying, I'm not this, I'm not that, I can't go to Pharaoh. Complaining. Listen to what the Lord said. The Lord said to him in Exodus 4.11, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That'll challenge you. Because you know what, in my eyes, in my eyes, if in our, my sinfulness, we see deformities as, as less than perfect. We see them as less and, oh man, poor. You know, who, you know who wove them in their womb? I'm not saying, hey, look, sin has, has wreaked havoc on it. But you know ultimately who is their God in the womb? God is their God of the womb. L- listen, listen to me and, and look at John. John chapter 9, the, the famous... Story where Jesus heals the blind man. John 9, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? There, they immediately thought, okay, somebody sinned. Clearly, somebody sinned. Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. Listen to this. Why is this man born? Why is he blind? Here it is. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know what God says? You know why he's blind? For this moment right here. He's blind for this moment right here that I would get glory in him. We're not sovereign over defects. God is sovereign over defects. Again, are we going to say that we know better than God? Is that what we're going to say? Are we going to determine, are we going to be the determiners of who qualifies for life? Who meets my standards for life versus who meets God's standards? We, we, again, we have value and meaning and greatness and purpose because of our Creator and the image who's, 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 uh, we bear of our, of our Creator. Not because of the length of our days. Not because how perfect we are or imperfect. Listen to me. This is where it's convicting as a believer. This is not an other people issue. This is not an issue that's out there. This is an issue that's in here. Listen to me. According to recent polls... Nearly half the people who call themselves Christians said they agreed with a woman's right to choose. Half. Do, do, do you see the problem? That, that's incompatible with the Scriptures. That's incompatible with saying Jesus is Lord. I'm not saying you're not saved. You hold, I'm saying you're not submitting to His Lordship on that issue. 
Nearly half. We don't have the right to see things as we want to see them as Christians. We see them as the Lord sees them. He's Lord of over all. He's over, Lord over our attitudes. He's Lord over our actions. Satan is duping us. Christianity and culture are colliding, and it seems that culture is winning. It seems that culture is impacting us more than we're impacting the culture. And if you've come in here this morning and, you, and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you side with a woman's right to choose, I beg you to repent. That is an ungodly, unbiblical attitude. It does not square up, it does not measure up with the Word of God. And, 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 and Christians who buckle on these issues, we're not helping our societies. We're, we're actually helping destroy them. And you see it on your handout. Standing upon God's word in the face of our culture is for our own good and God's glory. To stand up, it is for our good and God's glory. God wants to use us to make a difference, to be salt and to light. To be defenders of the very ones that God is defending. He's their God in the womb. He's the defender. You know what he wants? He says, my people, be their defender. Be their defender with me. But again, the balance, not only do we, that's why we, that's why we have to hate the act. It is against God. And God hates it, and so we have to hate it. But, but so what's our response? What's the other half, our response? Our response to abortion is to reflect Christ. It's to reflect Christ. Statistics, here's the problem, though. This is, seems, that seems like an obvious thing, but, but that is the very point, again, where it seems that Christianity is failing, that Christians are failing, because statistics say that one in six abortions are done by women who profess to be born again. Here's my point. We're part of the problem. I, I read a quote from, an, from a leading person in the industry who said this, if Christians refused abortions, it would be negative, it would negatively impact in a significant way by simply professing Christians, the church, believers refusing to have abortions. He himself said that. That our industry would be, would be hurt tremendously if simply Christians didn't participate. That seemingly sounds so simple. But if I agree, I mean, it's not only abortion. I, pr I probably participate in other things in the world. I haven't done that, but maybe I do this. You see why we need to be different than the world? Why God's called us to be separate from the world? How confusing that is? We're to be salt and light. So how do we do that? L listen to me. Look at me quickly at Ephesians 5. How do, we, how do we take a stand with grace, but yet with truth? How, how do we do this well? Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Jesus Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater who has an inheritance in the kingdom of God let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. This is what Paul is saying. How do we respond well? Seek to imitate God. Seek to imitate God as a child of God. Be imitators of God. Secondly, show sacrificial mercy on behalf of God's creation. Show sacrificial mercy. He says, walk in love just as Christ loved you, sacrificially loving. Sacrificially loving. Thirdly, seek to set aside all forms of immorality in our own lives. All forms of immorality in our own lives. Studies show that 86% of abortions are by unmarried women. You know what the issue is? Immorality. It's immorality. It's wanting to, it's wanting to, to do what we want to do with no consequences. That's the issue. We want to do what we want to do, and we don't want the consequences. If immorality, sexual and non, were, were conquered, abortion would almost entirely vanish. Do you hear that? That's what he's saying. The issue is immorality. And it's immorality inside the church and outside the church. One in six are done by professing believers. And we, our job as believers is to reflect Christ in our actions, but also our attitudes. And we're battling on behalf of truth here. We're representing the character and the righteousness of God that through Christ He has bestowed upon us as believers. Our response is to reflect Christ, but not only that, our response to abortion is to point people to Christ. Not only reflect Christ, but point people to Christ. It's to point people to Christ. It's not condemn. It's not hate. It's not think that they're unpardonable. It's not to say, ooh. It's to point people to Christ. Listen to what Acts 13, verse 38 and 39 says. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through Christ... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through Christ, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. All things. The sin He forgave you of, the sin He forgave me of, is the same forgiveness that He can forgive abortion of. That truth needs to be proclaimed. I mean, look back. If you look back to Proverbs 6, where we started. Think, think back to Proverbs 6. You say, well, I haven't shed innocent blood. You ever been haughty? Guilty. You ever said a lie? Guilty. You ever devised a wicked plan? Probably. You ever ran to evil, something you know you shouldn't do, and you still ran to it? Probably. You ever, you ever been a false witness? Probably. I'm being generous with probably. You ever spread strife? You ever gossiped? Most certainly. So, so right there, I'm guilty of five out, six out of the seven. I need the same mercy and the same grace and the forgiveness that the, the woman who's committed abortion needs. And I've found that in Christ alone. And our job as believers is to point others to Christ alone that they can be forgiven of and freed from all the things that have separated them from Christ. There is forgiveness for abortion. Hear me clearly. There is forgiveness for abortion like any other sin. 
To, to communicate a different message as a believer is wrong. To, to say, ooh, and I don't want to hang out with them because they've done that is wrong. All sin, listen to me. You say, but it's so severe. Every sin is severe. Every sin. From the so-called least to the greatest. Look, he hates all of those. All of them. And, and, and you, can, you can look at the Sermon on the Mount. He says, hey, you ever been angry with your brother? You know what you're guilty of? Murder. Murder. You may have done the act, but you wanted to. You may not have physically done it, but you'd have been okay with it being done. There, there's a lot of sins that I may not be, had been guilty of at the time, but, but I wanted to do. Am I any better? But for the grace of God, I dare say not. And, and can you say, well, can murder be forgiven? Ask Paul. Ask the Apostle Paul. He was forgiven. Wrote most of the New Testament. There is, here's the point. If we stop short of this truth, we have failed. There is forgiveness and restoration completely available in Christ alone. Every sin we've ever committed can be forgiven, justified. Every sinner in this room, no matter what it is, declared righteous in spite of every sin you've ever committed, including abortion through the blood of Jesus Christ alone. That's the good news of the gospel. And we cannot stop short with that. There is forgiveness for our sin in Christ alone. Done. Washed away. Separated as far as the east is from the west. My sin and your sin. Jesus' death, His burial, His resurrection can pardon any, of all, any and all of our debts for everyone who believes. Hear me. Sin has separated us from a holy God and the only way that we can be reconciled is through the blood of Jesus Christ. No matter what sin you've come in here, we've all come in here committed sins. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The good news is this, Romans 5, 8, but he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You go down to verse 10, while we were his enemies, he died for us. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Why did Christ die? Because the wages of sin is death. And if you and I were going to be forgiven, somebody had to die. You can die for your own sins, or you can find Jesus Christ's death in place of you. Romans 10, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Well, that's 1 John 6, sorry. Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. Repent. Acknowledge your sinfulness. E even if you're a believer today, some of us may need to repent that our attitudes have fallen short of God's attitudes towards sin, particularly abortion. Repent. Listen to me, Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Listen to me, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're coming from, there is a refuge and there is forgiveness in Christ alone. Please hear this. No matter what you've done, believer or not, run to Christ. If you're a believer in here, you still sin, run to Christ. If you're a non-believer, run to Christ. 
We, we, can't, we can't act like abortion is a big deal. It is a big deal. Value life. Deal with it for, seriously. But make righteousness a priority. Hate it, but point people to Christ. Amen? Hate it, but point people to Christ. Just like I hate my own sin, and I run to Christ. I hate other people's sin, and I point them to Christ. I, I pray that we would be a righteous people because our Savior is righteous and that we would run to Christ. Hate it, but point them to Christ.